The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Arielle Laurie, host of the Blonde Files podcast, where every Wednesday I cover all things wellness. After nearly dying from drugs and alcohol six years ago, I've been on a mission to live my best, most fulfilled life, and I'm sharing everything with you. From how to achieve optimal health, well-being, and fulfillment, to the best beauty tips and even cosmetic procedures, I cover it all with raw, candid conversations with experts and inspirational guests. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Hey, it's Mariana, and welcome back to the Life with Mariana podcast. So before we get into the episode, I have to tell you about a brand new Summer Fridays product. I am so excited about this. First of all, it is limited edition. So if you want to get it, you have to get it now because it's not going to be around forever. And it is our pool time glowing body oil. Doesn't that just sound amazing? This body oil instantly illuminates your skin and it gives you this shimmer that is just so stunning. It's got macadamia, jojoba, apricot kernel, and sunflower oils. So it's going to really give your skin that long lasting hydration, but it's also so beautiful and shimmering in the light and sun to give you that sun kiss glow. So apply this to your skin. Your skin will be luminously soft and it's going to be gently fragranced with our signature summer scent of vanilla, coconut blossom, and warm almond. So if you guys want to get it, like I said, it is limited edition and available now at summerfridays.com and Sephora. So now let me tell you a little bit about this episode's guest. It is Emma Greed. She has many jobs. She is the co-founder and CEO of Good American a founding partner of Skims, which you guys know that I am obsessed with. She also recently launched Safely with Kris Jenner and Chrissy Teigen. And in this episode, we talk about all of those jobs that I just listed, as well as being on the board of Real Real and the 15% pledge. We talk about how she even got started working with the Kardashians and some business advice she learned from Kris Jenner and how to make retail work for you and your brand so it's a win-win for both the brand and the retailer. And I had to ask what her day looks like and how she manages it all because she is also a mom of too. You'll also learn a little bit about what it takes to get a job at one of her companies and how Black-owned brands can get assistance from the 15% pledge. And before we get into the episode, be sure to subscribe. I've got new episodes every Tuesday. And if you're loving the podcast, be sure to leave me a five-star rating and review. Now let's hear from Emma. So Emma, I have to know, I know your amazing career that you have now, the great brands, but what were you doing before Good American? I can barely remember what I was doing before all of this, but no, that's a lie. I actually started my career in fashion. So working in a fashion show production company. And from there, you know, when you work with lots of young designers in London, there was never any money. No one had, you know, enough cash to do the show. So I kind of fell into this really odd space of fashion show sponsorship, which was essentially finding brand partnerships for young designers. And from that, I leveraged, you know, that whole kind of, you know, working with young designers, working at London Fashion Week into a company, you know, it's like, it didn't feel at the time, like it would, you know, go that way. But I found this really niche space, you know, when partnership marketing was becoming more and more relevant. And so my job was essentially in the beginning, you know, it sprung from working with designers to working with individuals before they were called influencers. Um, But there was certainly kind of the early days of influencers, and then really springboard into, you know, working with talent 
a more traditional celebrity. And I built an agency from scratch. It was literally me when I started. And by the end of it, you know, I was very lucky. It was acquired by Interpublic Group. I had offices in three cities and it was my whole life. And so <laughs> it really feels like, you know, Good American and certainly Skims is almost like my second, my second coming. It wasn't where I started. Which is amazing because doing one of those things alone is an incredible career. But from the background of fashion show production and then your own agency, what did you learn that you've now carried over into starting your own brands? Oh, Marianne, like so much. I can't even tell you. I feel like everything has been so foundational. I mean, look, certainly the relationships are something that, you know, I've carried from, you know, one role to another. But, you know, all the basic principle stuff, like having principles for a start, you know, like making a decision about the way you want to run your business and the way you want to treat people and the way you want to be seen and known and felt by people, that stuff was all you know, so important when you're running an agency, because essentially every time you start over with a new client, you have to put your best foot forward and decide what your agency stands for, what jobs you're going to say yes to and no to. And so I feel like all of that really has stood me in good stead for how we run brands today. And if I really think about it, you know, just building relationships has been so important throughout my career. I look back to, you know, the early days of ITV, which was my agency that I started before Good American. And, you know, so many of those people that used to work for me became so successful. I had an intern that went on to become, you know, fashion director at Teen Vogue. And now, you know, I just read an announcement about her, you know, she's moved on to ID now. Like the idea of always being good to people and nurturing relationships and remembering that, you know, the people you see on the way up are the people you see on the way down. I think those really, really simple things have been so important and so instrumental in the way that I conduct myself and the way that I conduct business now that, you know, none of those lessons are wasted on me at all. So then you did all of these great things and then you were like, it's time for me to start my own brand. When (laughs) or why did you know that it was the next path for you? Well, you know, it's so interesting because when you're a consultant, you know, when you run a consultancy business, you're always creating value for someone else. And while I was so proud of some of those, you know, fantastic campaigns that I was part of, you weren't the decision maker, right? You were a a cog in the wheel. And for me, you know, it became about where are you creating value and who are you creating value for? And soon enough, after you've, you know, done that over and over again, you kind of start to get a little you know, that side eye, that little monster. It's like, wait a minute, I should be doing this for myself. And I mean, that's where it came from. Also, you know, after 10 years, of course, when you start your own business, you're never in the same company. If things go well, or indeed if things go badly, things change so much that actually every year you're doing a different job. But for me, it was about going back and embracing my passions. If I'm going to work how I do, which let's just say it's not a nine to five, I wanted to put my energy into something that I really really believed in. And so the beginnings of Good American was about this huge switch in my life into doing something that I felt was going to have purpose and meaning and would still embrace everything that I love, like around, you know, fashion and lifestyle and marketing and all the things that I'm good at, but that it would have a bigger purpose than, than essentially what I was doing in the agency business. And you guys definitely have, I mean, with Good American... By from launch and what you guys have been doing with, you know, size inclusivity, inclusivity and diversity within the brand. But going back to like the beginning of starting. So you met Chris first and then you met Chloe. So how did you guys even 
get connected to want to do a brand together? I know it's such, it's such a wild story. Even when I tell it back now, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I ever just got that meeting. But um, I'd worked with Chris for a long time because my business was rooted in entertainment marketing. So doing partnerships with talent, predominantly endorsements. And so you have to know Chris Jenner. If you're coming to Hollywood, you know Chris. She has you know some of the most important clients slash daughters <laughs> in the world. And I was very lucky. And I think it says a lot about Chris is an individual, you know, if, if you had an idea that was good enough to bring to her, she was taking your call, you know, and so I built up a relationship with Chris over the years and we would have lunch in Paris twice a year and I would always think it was so fabulous because one of the girls would come and, you know, meet us at L'Avenue and there'd be like a paparazzi frenzy and, you know, for me, Chris was like another incredible Hollywood manager and it was part of my job to stay in touch with those, you know, Hollywood agents, managers, lawyers, you know, PRs, all the rest of it. And I originally pitched the idea of Good American. It wasn't called Good American at the time. It was like a placeholder of a name. But I pitched to Chris and she said, well, this sounds wonderful. But, you know, if you want Chloe, you're going to have to talk to Chloe. And so she, you know, I think I kind of said like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be in LA in like three weeks. I had no intention of being in LA. (laughs) (laughs) But I came, I booked my flight in economy and and definitely came over for my meeting with Chloe. And I pitched her the idea. And honestly, you know, when people say, oh, yeah. And then it was like a meeting of minds. And then we, you know, saying each other's words. It literally was like that. By slide three of my presentation, Chloe was telling me stories that later in press became, you know, our brand story because she had experienced not being sample size. She had experienced the feeling of being kind of very, you know, like a lot of women being left out of the mainstream fashion conversation. And it was in that moment I was like, if if Chloe wants to do this, like it's really going to work because it was already chiming with the women in the room. And so I knew I had something like in that moment. Which is just a crazy, you know, like you said, the people and the relationships and one thing leads to another. It's such like a butterfly effect of like where life really brings you. And Chris is so kind, so supportive. Like we send her products and she does this whole thing. She sets up her ring light. She's unboxing product. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, she's just so kind and has built you know, such an amazing, you know, family business with herself. Are there any business things that you have learned or, you know, advice that she's given you? Yeah, I think that Chris is a very generous woman. Like, and by generous, I mean, you know, generous with her time, generous with the effort she puts into things. And that creates, you know, like a self-fulfilling prophecy, like all around her, right? You get what you give in life. And so more than giving me advice, and she certainly, you know, Chris is not one to um, to mince her words, shall we say. She gives me lots of pointers and lots of advice, but it's actually watching someone like that and seeing not just the hard work, but, you know, the, the intentionality that goes into everything and the idea of just being like, a good, decent person, someone who stands by their word, who takes time, who looks you in the eye, who answers back. You know, I'm always amazed that, you know, you think about how many emails somebody like Chris must get. And, you know, I text her, she usually takes us back in 30 seconds. Um, And I think that kind of stuff is really admirable. You know, when you are, it's one thing when you're at the beginning of your career and you're in a mode of, you know, like I need to win every piece of business. I'm kind of desperate for this conversation to happen. But things often change with people when they're at the height of their career and when they're at the top of the pile. And I think, you know, Chris, and I guess that family at large are, you know, they're still working as hard as they ever were. They are still, you know, doing things that go against the grain. They're still taking risks. 
while all the time being really great, really respectful and having this incredible family unit. And I think all of that is really admirable, but it's all the stuff that we we don't necessarily talk about with the Kalashian Jenner family. And I've, you know, I've been lucky enough to work beside them for so many years now. And what I see over and over again is just this ability to just be really good to the people that are around you and work really hard. And that combination is just, you know, it's incredible. Let's break for a moment brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something that interferes with your happiness? Or can you think of something preventing you from achieving your goals? Well, self-doubt is something I struggled with, especially in my 20s, and it's been a hard year for so many of us, but there are ways to connect with therapists virtually. I love convenience, comfort, and especially privacy, and BetterHelp makes it really convenient to connect in a safe and private environment. BetterHelp assesses your needs and matches you with your own licensed professional therapist so you can start communicating in under 48 hours. They have licensed professional counselors who are specialized in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, self-esteem, and more. And don't think of it as a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. You can message your counselor anytime and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly phone or video sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it really easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's also more affordable than traditional online counseling and financial aid is available. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash Mariana. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Mariana. Now let's get back to the episode. The brand has now become so amazing, but I imagine at the beginning, the team was not what it is now. So what was your team like when you launched the brand? You know, it's so funny. So on launch day, there were three, is there three or two of us? So, well, two employees, really? No, 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 that's a lie. There were three employees. I'm trying to figure out who around that table was actually working for me and whose services I was just scrimmaging on. (laughs) And there's always a bit of that in the beginning. So there were three employees. And, you know, it was so interesting because, again, I lived in England. I hadn't even made that decision to move to LA. And I believed it was going to be a really slow burn. But again, for me, those those three employees were everything because it was like, who is able to support what I don't know? And so for me at the time, having somebody that could come in across design and merch, because I know nothing about, you know, how like the fundamentals of building a denim brand, which is you know, really layered and really complex and super size intensive because, of course, from day one, we went sizes zero, zero through to a plus size 24. I had a head of e-com, you know, because, again, I'd never built a website. I'd never managed a website. I'd never dealt with warehousing, logistics, inventory management, any of that stuff. And so I had that person. And then I had somebody who could be almost my boots on the ground. And believe it or not, that was my executive assistant from England who I gave a promotion and said, hey, do you want to help me launch this um, this brand and go and live in LA? And he was like, absolutely. And I realized on one of our first ever trips to our first ever factory that he'd never even been to LA. So talk about take an opportunity. <laughs> I said it and he was like, yeah, having never, ever even visited LA before. Which is just insane. And since you didn't have this background in denim, where did you find the confidence to go into a completely new industry? 
Well, you know what? I, I wish I could say that it was the confidence, but really it was, you know, my choices got really whittled down. And I think this is a good point for anyone starting a business because you have all of these grand ideas and then you kind of get it down on paper and you run the finances. In the beginning, I just wanted to start an inclusive clothing brand. And my idea got, you know, whittled down to what I could afford to do because I realized that I couldn't work in multiple categories and it would be really complex in this you know number of sizes to try and do too much and actually that was a I'd love to say it was brilliant strategy on my part but it really wasn't it was about what can I afford to do and what do I have the bandwidth to do I I already had you know an agency at that point there were over 120 people working in that agency I was six months pregnant with my second child. And so I literally had a clock ticking. And so all the development was happening while I was pregnant. And so the idea of doing denim was because I knew I could do it. I was like, I understand this. I'd worked, you know, some of my clients in my previous business were G-Star and Calvin Klein. And I felt, (laughs) it kind of feels naive now, but I felt like I knew a lot about the denim space. And so it, it felt like something that I could bite off. And then there was the point that who doesn't love a good pair of jeans? Like it's something everyone has in their closet. And I think even now at Good American, you know, our ethos is built around, you know, creating the things that, women wear a lot and not that you wear seldomly so our you know our job is to create sweatshirts and sweatpants and bike shorts and you know of course everything in denim but we shouldn't necessarily be making you you know like a a sequined blazer dress because you can probably get that you know elsewhere and at either end of the fashion market we try to do the things that women wear a lot and that was really where why denim was the initial kind of undertaking. So what are some of those harder things that people don't realize when you are expanding into such a wide range of sizes? Yeah, you know, it was one of those things where I was hell-bent on really focusing on what I believed was a very underserved segment, right? When we talk about it, and I say this over and over again, but the majority of women in this country, over 64% are above a size 16. And if you go into any mall, you'll probably find, you know, out of hundreds and hundreds of retailers, maybe two, two or three that cater to them. And don't even get me started about what they're catering. So it was definitely this focus on how do we serve what has been traditionally known as like the plus size customer, when in fact, she's just the majority of women. And how do we do that in a way where we're just putting everyone together and treating all customers completely equally? I mean, now I have to say that we actually go zero, zero through to a plus size 32. So it's become even more intensive, but there were a lot of cost considerations. And so back to that point of just doing denim, actually, when we launched, we just did three fits and it was really simple. There were good cuts, good waist, good legs. And, you know, we had to keep things very focused and, you know, very, very, clear to the customer what we stood for and what we were trying to offer them. Um, But it did present a lot of problems. And the way we got around that was to really simplify, really go back to that idea again of like, what are our principles and what are our values and what makes sense, you know, when you kind of stack all of those things up. And in a way, that process of elimination meant that we could come into the market with a really clear and concise message We're going to make you the best skinny, stretchy jeans. They're going to fit. They're going to be comfortable and you're going to look hot. And that was it. (laughs) It wasn't much. It didn't need to be more complicated than that. And that clarity of message was very, it was very well received by customers, but it also was very understandable. And all of the cost implications were things that for us, you know, we really just had to focus and the focus was helpful. 
And people love them. Like my manager has them. She's like, these are the only jeans that fit me. I have another friend. And it's like, these are genius because I had the problem where I have a butt, but then it was so big on the waist and like the cuts and everything are just perfect. And I know people really, really love the brand. And at launch, you guys had an incredible launch day, million dollar day, but then, you know, you have to maintain that. So how do you maintain and grow the business when you're already starting out with, you know, such a great first day? Yeah, it was really difficult. You know, it's one of the things we always joke about it that like nine o'clock in the morning, everyone around the table was like, Emma, you're a genius. And then at 12, they were like, you may have underestimated the opportunity. And by 1.30, they were like, oh my God, this girl has no idea what she's doing. (laughs) We were sold out. And, you know, the turn times in denim are really long. So it meant that, you know, we wouldn't have any product for somewhere between 12 and 16 weeks, which is almost a disaster for a new brand. And so what it did again, though, if you kind of, you know, I see everything as signs. And for me, it was a huge sign. So if you have no product and you've spent, you know, two weeks like hyping this launch and, you know, building a huge communication story around it, then who's suffering? Not the business, but it's the customer. And so for me, it put this immediate spotlight onto our customers. Like, how am I going to go and tell everyone that I don't have any product, but it is coming and I really want you to come back even when the hype's died down? And actually it started this brilliant, you know, back and forth with, you know, our community. And we didn't think about it as a community in the beginning. We were just trying to say to people like, please come back when we have stock. But what happened is, you know, you get on the phone and I literally got on the phone and spoke to people who was, you know, really telling me, but I've been really looking forward to these jeans because here are my problems. And actually, you know, I didn't even want a skinny jean. I wanted something else, but I was going to support you because I love the message and I love the diversity. And so that for me was my first lesson in really listening to your customers and figuring out if we've got everybody there and they want to talk to us, then how do we turn that into, you know, like value for our business? How do we make decisions based on what they're telling us? Um, And again, it was the beginning of starting to understand community. Of course, you know, it's customer experience, it's customer service, and it seems very, very simple. But for us, it was this huge awakening of how close we could be to the customers and how we could make decisions based on the feedback they were giving us. And then based on that feedback and that customer two-way conversation, how have you used like data or reviews or feedback to make changes in either the product or the brand? You know, we use it all the time. I think there are so many good examples and they run from like, you know, the minuscule of like, you know, something actually not working because oftentimes, you know, customers are right. You know, as much as I want to think we've, we've worked so hard on this and you get a piece of bad feedback. And that's one thing I have to say, you know, you have to take the good with the bad. It isn't always like, oh my God, we love everything you're doing. Sometimes it's like this didn't live up to the promise and you've got to go back to the drawing board. And so I think that we ultimately, we really, really do try to listen. And I mean the good, the bad, and the ugly. We certainly use it for category development. Like, I, I don't think we would, you know, I had no ambition to go into swim, for example. It just so happened that we saw so many customers were wearing our bodysuits as, as, you know, swimwear. And I thought, well, that's dangerous because they open in the crutch. So it doesn't feel like the, the smartest move. But then also, you know, they were just saying to us, you know, I have these problems, I have those problems. And, you know, maybe if you took this from your jeans and you, you you know, took the adjustability factor of what you do and you took the sizing and you thought about it this way. And so we've really listened to customers in terms of figuring out what product development looks like. And then it really is just about having an open dialogue, you know, always, always being willing to 
you know, I don't want to be repetitive, but take that good with the bad. And, you know, when I look at what's important to women right now at this moment in time, it's very different to what they might have been saying a year ago. And so I think, you know, being receptive to the moment in time to how your customers are feeling that that's really, really important. And COVID has been a great example of that. All of a sudden, it wasn't about skinny jeans. You know, she wanted leggings, she wanted comfort, she wanted to feel good and secure and, you know, but but in a very, very different way. And so I think that you've got to, as much as you stick to your brand principles, you also need to be ready to pivot. And the customer telling you to do so is a pretty sure sign that you should do that. So I'm taking a break to tell you about Pevolve. If you listened to a few episodes ago, I had one of the co-founders and presidents on. And the reason why I wanted to have them on the podcast is because I've been doing their workouts during quarantine. I love them so much. So I feel like because it's been a part of my at-home fitness routine, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about it. So it's really unlike traditional fitness because it approaches fitness from the inside out. I truly can't say enough about this entire method. It's really all about building up your body through dynamic joint movement and patented resistance-based equipment. It doesn't just help tone and sculpt your entire body. It also really makes you feel more energized in your everyday life, which I definitely know I need more of. What I love most about Pevolve is how versatile and accessible it is. I can do everything in my morning, do my whole morning routine, log into the app, do a quick little cardio or something slower paced, whatever I need really depending on the day. And that's why I love how many options that they have on there because really depending how much time I have, what I want to work, there is definitely something to offer. And I also do that in conjunction with their equipment and it's so great to use. Everything is designed with results in mind and they have so many options for working out both the lower and upper body, like light and heavy ankle weights, hand weights, and ankle bands. My listeners get a special offer from Pevolve for 20% off all equipment kits. You can use the code Mariana20. Go to pvolve.com. That's P-V-O-L-V-E.com and use the code Mariana20. Now let's get back to the episode. You guys have such a great fan base and community. And I imagine you leverage that between like your own DTC and retailers. So how do you think about your own e-com versus retailers? Are you doing like a different assortment or like site exclusives or where do you even know to drive people? Cause I think especially in the last year of COVID, a lot of people were like, crap, stores are closed. I, I can only focus on my site. What do I do? Yeah, totally. So we were all the same, right? Everyone was suddenly put in the same boat. I mean, look from the outset, good American has been you know, a business that has also focused on wholesale. Our business is very, very heavily weighted towards direct-to-consumer. But wholesale was an important part of the business because for us, it was like marketing, right? If we if we were looking at Nordstrom from the very, very beginning, we had no idea how big that business was going to build, but we knew that we needed an in-person experience with our customers. That if you're trying jeans and you're trying clothing, Oftentimes you, you know, you want somebody next to you, like serving up different options and, you know, shoehorning you into different things that you might not try yourself. Nordstrom was a partner that we knew from the beginning we wanted because they have excellent customer service. But we also looked at it as always like this is a marketing play for the business. This is where people are going to meet our brand and we have to put our best foot forward in Nordstrom as though it were, you know, a good American standalone retail store. And so for us, it was never about limiting the assortment, giving them the exclusives, because when you turn up at Nordstrom, I don't want you to see the Nordstrom version of Good American. I want you to see Good American. And so we took the, I guess, 
the opposite view to a lot of more traditional wholesale companies, like let's do something special for them. We were like, no, let's just put our best foot forward because everybody is walking through Nordstrom and we're going to capture customers that would never have gravitated towards goodamerican.com, that don't follow Khloe Kardashian, that aren't in tune with, you know, our customers. And so I think that's a really important point in business, right? If you're going to be in a partnership, embrace that partnership for everything that it's worth. And definitely, you know, don't try to change your brand to fit in with a retailer. It's either going to work there because you'll find your customer within that, you know, department store or that group of stores or whatever, or it's not. But, you know, for us, the the idea of like, changing who we were was never going to happen. And actually it was one of the best things ever because, you know, for Nordstrom, they had no idea that they were going to be able to sell plus size clothing outside of their plus size department. And lo and behold, because of our insistence on keeping everything together, it changed the entire makeup of that store. Six months after Good American launched, they went to hundreds of brands and asked them to produce extra sizes on both ends of the size spectrum. And, you know, I think Pete Nordstrom, you know, absolutely attributes Good American to that insight that they could sell way below what they, you know, were selling traditionally and, and way higher in sizes. And not only uh, are you co-founder and CEO of Good American, but you also are a founding partner of Skim. So tell me about how this even happened. Well, you know, it was a very different story because Kim has always wanted, you know, of course, she's fiercely entrepreneurial. It was all her idea, you know, to do skims, to have a shapewear brand and an underwear brand. And my husband and I are Kim's partners. And it's been an amazing, amazing partnership. You know, you would have to ask her why she chose to work with us. But I imagine seeing, you know, Chloe and the success of Good American was, was part of that decision. But, you know, again, it's about knowing you know, what you're good at. We happen to be, you know, product obsessed. And in both Good American and Skims, we make incredible products. And that is, you know, where my role in Skims is is entirely focused. It's around, you know, creating the best possible shapewear, the best possible underwear, the best possible lounge. And Kim has an incredible aesthetic and a really strong idea as, you know, the, the founder and the creative director of that company. She is very, very clear in what she wants to see. And so it's a dream come true when you've got that kind of clarity of brand and the ability to make beautiful products and then to do it at the, you know, the accessible prices that we have like it literally is it's a dream I couldn't be more happy with skims and and the progress that we've had in that company since launch well I am obsessed with skims I have so much of it um it's like I know I mean I've seen you (laughs) it's like if I have it I like it's like the best and it's like I get gifting but I also like go on the site like the day new collections come out and it's so amazing to see and obviously you you knew the brand was going to be huge, but did you think it was going to blow up the way that it has and so quickly? No, I mean, you always have, you know, I'm a person who is deeply ambitious and, and unapologetically so. And I would say that Kim's pretty ambitious too. So we had, we definitely had high hopes for the brand, but it's always, you know, amazing when customers really gravitate towards something. And I think, you know, you'll be the first person, Mariana, you know, you can, you can buy pretty much any underwear you want to, right? It's like, you know, your choices, you get sent everything by so many different companies and yet you choose to, to buy skims. And it's the same for me. You know, I have drawers full of other brands and I just am obsessed with skims. I love it. And again, I think it's this part of like when 
the stars align. And I think just generally when, when you start a business, you know, you can do everything right, but there's also this element of being in the right place at the right time with the right product and the right message and, you know, and everything kind of getting in the right space for you. So I don't sit here and think, wow, we're like absolute geniuses, <laughs> you know, it's like, I think we had a fantastic product. And I think that Kim is a brilliant businesswoman. And I really feel like as a company, we've made a really great entry into um, an otherwise pretty kind of dated and, and otherwise saturated marketplace. But I do think that timing pays a, a huge part in anything that you do. And, you know, we got a lot of things right. We've got some things wrong and it's super early days in that company, but I think it's a, it's an amazing company and it's something I'm really proud to be part of. And you're also recently part of Real Real. You recently joined the board. So for people- I know, this is exhausting. I can't believe. I'm like, wow, do I do all of this stuff? I know. Well, I'm go- I was going through and I was writing all of these things that you're doing. So it's like, later I want to talk to you about where do you even find the time? But when you're joining a company like this and joining the board of a company, for people that don't know, what does that actually mean? What does that entail? Or what do you even do? Or what's like the reason why you would want to add this onto your plate? Honestly, you know, it's interesting because the Real Real is a publicly listed company. And so for me, this is the first time I've been part of a, a public board. And so it's a very, very different set of obligations than anything else I've ever done, which has typically been on the board of nonprofits. For me, it was about getting, you know, me personally, it was about getting the experience of a publicly listed entity. I also kind of fell in love with the founder, Julie. Like, she's so amazing. And, you know, there's so few women that have done that, you know, started a company from scratch and then taken it public. And so for me, the whole idea of Julie and the real rail and the ambitions of the company was super interesting. And of course, I want to be able to see businesses at different stages. But it's very interesting that you ask, like, why? You know, if we rewind back to last summer when this, you know, whole country was, you know, really kind of reckoning with itself or had a reckoning with itself around the kind of racial inequalities that we uh, that we have in America. It was interesting because I got so many offers. I was absolutely inundated. A lot of things that I thought, goodness me, like this, this would never have come to me. <laughs> you know, you have to start looking at the reasons why people are asking you to do certain things and, and what their intentions are. And so for me, like with anything that I do, I want to be able to play a real part. I want to be able to add to the conversation. Um, and I don't want to be, and, and nor will I ever allow myself to be, a black female face on anybody's board because they need a black female face. And so part of me joining the real real, apart from like loving the company and being a customer, which I think is always important, I'm not the only black female on there. There was a very specific reason for me being chosen to go on that board because they were looking for somebody with, you know, hyper growth e-com experience. And that's what I've been doing for the last four years with Good American and now Skims. But I do think the experience that you can get in a different context, not being, you know, the operational CEO of a company and being able to like have that distance and understand what's going on is really, really helpful. And so for me, I'm always looking for progression in anything that I do. And so, you know, it was a great opportunity to understand a different scale of business, to really understand more about the public markets, but also to really like 
learn and listen and have the experience that I've had be counted in a much broader context. And so that was the reason I said yes. And it's, you know, it's been very early days. I've sat in a, on a couple of, of board meetings, but it's a it's a great learning curve. And I'm, you know, thankful to be part of it and, and amongst an amazing group of really smart individuals. Taking a break, because first of all, I have to say thank you to our sponsors, because without them, this podcast would not be possible. And one of them is Verb, which I really, really love because I'm always reaching for a snack or some sort of extra caffeine to get me through the day. And I'm sure you guys are the same. And I kept seeing so many of my friends post about them and they had really cute packaging and flavors. So I was so, so excited to try because usually when it gets midday, I hit this afternoon slump and I need a little bit of energy without having more coffee to drink. So this is the perfect time to grab a Verb bar. They have the most delicious flavors like cookie butter, double chocolate, salted peanut butter, peppermint mocha. Don't you want to just try those right now? The cookie butter and vanilla latte are my favorite. These are really perfect to keep in your bag or in your desk whenever you need to power through the day, which for me is basically always. They are a 90 calorie snack bar that are gluten-free, plant-based, and have as much caffeine as an espresso. So from this, you'll get a smooth, long-lasting energy from green tea. So that's really energy without the jitters. Okay, so now that I told you how much I love them and how delicious they are, you guys can try them for only 95 cents. Yes, that's right, 95 cents. For a limited time only, Verb is offering an exclusive deal to my listeners. They will ship you four of their best-selling flavors for free. You only pay 95 cents for shipping. To claim this deal, go to verbenergy.com slash life. This deal is not available on the regular website and you can't use a discount code, so be sure to go to verbenergy.com slash life. I hope you love them. Now let's get back to the episode. That leads me into the 15% pledge and what you guys are doing there. So I'd love to hear about your involvement in the 15% pledge. Yes, no, absolutely. And it's something that I'm so, um, I'm so proud of. And I'm so, you know, after everything that happened last summer, like a lot of people and, and even being a black woman, it feels odd to say this, but I was like, what, you know, what can I do? How can I stop waking up, reading the news, feeling outraged, watching another video, like, you know, in my business, you know, I would never allow anything to just upset me so much without there being like, you know, some kind of action. <laughs> and so in that, in that kind of whole situation, I was like, what can I actually do? And I saw Aurora James, who is the founder of the 15% Pledge, put out this social call to action, which was essentially calling on retailers and corporations to dedicate 15% of their purchasing power to supporting Black-owned businesses. And what we meant by that was that, you know, whatever the spend is of that department store, that brand, that retailer, you know, how can we encourage the private sector to use their financial power to create an even more equitable market share for Black-owned businesses? And it just dawned on me that, you know, my relationships that I have with brands and my understanding of the way those buys are put together from my years working in fashion and in retail before that really put me in a unique position to be able to help push the agenda of the 15% pledge forward. And so I didn't know Aurora, actually. I reached out to her and we have a mutual friend in Elaine Welteroff. And I just called Elaine. I was like, you've got to let me work on the pledge. <laughs> so um, it turned out that, you know, I have a lot of nonprofit experience and Aurora was definitely looking for somebody, a lot of different people, right, to come and, you know, work with them on this incredible nonprofit that she created. And so again, it was about the stars aligning, right place, right time, right set of skills, 
right, you know, background that I had. And then also this, you know, willingness and, you know, I would say just hunger to actually make a difference in something that I was finding and really struggling to deal with in a way that was positive and proactive. And so now I am working, you know, very closely with Aurora and the team. I'm a board member at the Pledge and we are working on, you know, what is essentially a pipeline of about $4 billion worth of opportunity. And so very, very quickly, we're having big conversations and the likes of Sephora have signed the pledge and Bloomingdale's and Macy's and more recently Modo Operande. And there's so many more in the pipeline. So I'm really excited about the work that's happening. But more than that, I'm excited about the opportunity that it's creating. And actually, I think that the pledge has the opportunity to change the economic makeup of this country and to create a to create opportunities for people that otherwise just weren't getting them or weren't seen. Now people are actively looking for Black-owned businesses because they know that they need their shelf space to be more reflective of their customer base. And so for me, it's just, it's a win-win-win, right? We all want to see that. We all want newness. We all want everybody to be given a fair chance. And so this was just something that I'm able to pour myself into. And with all my spare time, um, I'm having a lot of fun actually doing it. And you were talking about all your spare time. So it's like, what does a day in the life of Emma look like? What are you doing? What time do you wake up? What do you do before you start? your day you know I'm obsessed with this kind of stuff if there was a magazine that I if I if I was putting out a magazine it would literally just be like the same 25 questions for every person it would completely center around their daily schedule so um I am an early riser I always have been I also I have two kids which I probably haven't mentioned in this entire podcast but I do have two children I'm a mom who are so the like cutest ever them. they're just so cute oh, oh aren't they? they're so lovely I just I think they're the best things I've ever done um, and way to put your life into perspective, <laughs> having children, you really don't worry about anything when you get home and like one of your kids like can't poo or something. <laughs> You're like, oh my God, like everything I was thinking about has gone out of the window. We need to like figure out this conservation, um, which was actually, that's a story from yesterday. So you can, my, my daughter can thank me for that when she's older and later. But yeah, so my day, I wake up super early, usually about five o'clock. I work out anywhere between 5.30 and 6. And I'm usually, like, I try to take one of my kids to school, you know, once or twice a week. I definitely don't get the school run done every day because for me, the mornings are really important. You know, it's like 10 minutes in the morning is worth like an hour in the afternoon. And so I like to get in the office and I come into the office. So throughout COVID, I have just come in and sat in what is basically an empty office. And then slowly, that's a lie actually, because my chief product officer Melissa has been here the entire time so it'll be Melissa and I and slowly but surely the office is kind of starting to fill up a little bit again but I pretty much do you know meetings back to back I do have Fridays where I don't take any meetings or scheduled calls and Wednesday afternoons that I do the same which for me is about creating space in the day to think and you know not like just be entirely reactive I have this whole thing that I say to my every you know to myself every day which is you have to do what is important and not what's urgent because everything in my life is urgent and so you just you know I could sit down and answer emails all day which is not what I want to do but I'm pretty strict and I'm pretty regimented you know I have very very 
fixed goals in everything I do, like in my life personally, in my life professionally. And so I essentially say to myself that, you know, I have my goals and I don't do anything. And I mean, I don't take a meeting or a call that isn't getting me closer to one of those goals. And that's how I essentially filter what I say yes and no to. That's a really good thing to live by, I think, because I think we personally feel guilty. And I think a few years ago, I I was like, feeling bad saying no. And a boundary that I gave myself was it's okay to say no to things. It's okay to do this. And hopefully people will understand if they don't, then it is what it is because you can't say yes to everything. There's no way. Not when you have businesses or you're on a board, nonprofit family, that's, it's a lot going on for you. It's so true. And, you know, you have to do, I think at a certain point in your life, and it was very different when I was younger, you know, throughout my 20s and my early 40s, you know, I did it. I went to everything. I've been to the opening of an envelope and I pushed myself really hard. And I just feel, you know, for me, I'm at a different point in my life right now where, you know, you really start to take stock and understand what's important. And I am just sort of much much more selfish, I guess, you know, I'm much more clear on, you know, what is additive for me and my family and my business. And and so, you know, it does become easier and easier to filter things. I think the older you get, because you just get a little bit of, you know, perspective. Mm -hmm. And what personality traits do you think are important for an entrepreneur to have? Well, you know, you ought to have a thick skin, I think. <laughs> if you don't, it's going to be pretty difficult because, you know, you won't get everything right. And so inevitably, like, you know, things go wrong and you're told no a lot and you make mistakes. Like I've made a lot of mistakes in my first business. I opened an office in LA and it failed miserably. Why? Well, because I cheaped out essentially. I didn't invest in the right people and I thought I could do everything on a shoestring and I thought my reputation was better than it was. And so, you know, not everything is going to work out. And I think that just shouldn't be a deterrent from you know, you trying again and getting on. So I think a thick skin is really important. But I also think like, I I believe that like my superpower is knowing what I don't know. I'm really good at, you know, getting people around me that do things better than I do them. And I definitely am very mindful of what I'm good at and where I need to get help in. And I have no problem, like, you know, in three different businesses I've had, I've brought people in and paid them more than I'd been paying myself if I were paying myself at all. And that's fine. You know, if there's certain things you need to do to get ahead. And if it's one of your priorities, you know, to grow, then you might need to, you know, bring in a different skill set. And so I think, you know, like just having like real clarity, having a thick skin, having like real conviction, those things are really important for an entrepreneur. And you were talking about building a team. So if people are looking for jobs at Good American or Skims, where do you guys post job listings? And whether it's you or somebody else, what are you guys looking for in an employee? Well, that is a great question because for me, it becomes, it's super, super simple. I'm not looking for moderate anything. You know, if you say to me in an interview, you're looking for work-life balance, you know, you might be, but don't bring that to an interview. You know, it's like, I want people that are ambitious and that are willing to work. And I really, really respect work-life balance, but it is not something that you say in an interview to a prospective employee. And I'm saying that because I interviewed somebody this morning who had that as the first, the first answer. I think it's really, really important to 
know about the brand that you're coming into, right? You want to have done your research. You want to have understood the marketplace, understand the competitor landscape. But for me, I hire for attitude over experience. So if you come in with an amazing attitude and a willingness to work hard and an understanding of the brand, I'm hiring you over the person that's done it for five years because we're doing everything differently anyway. And in direct to consumer in this landscape, everything changes all the time. So the skills that were fantastic a year ago are probably dried up and not that relevant because we're all on different platforms with different plugins and different things happening. And so I really want people that have a willingness to be open-minded and to learn and to take risks and to take feedback. Like that's really important. And to answer your earlier question, every job that we have, and there are a lot of people that we're looking for right now, it's all on LinkedIn. Amazing. Great place to look. And for Black-owned brands that are looking for help from the 15% pledge, how do they reach out? How can they get the assistance of the 15% pledge? I am so glad you asked that question. We have an amazing website. It's 15percentpledge.org. And for businesses, they just need to go into the website and they can actually join our Black-owned business community, which is a database of so many Black-owned businesses. And the way it works is that as we are creating these opportunities with retailers to essentially take on more of their spend in the Black-owned business space, we are then directly connecting them with the Black-owned business community that's part of the database. There's also an incredible job board on the 15% pledge. So for brands that are looking to attract more Black people into their businesses and actually truly diversify their workforce, you can post your jobs on the 15% pledge career page and you should just check out the website in general. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. As always, so inspired by you and everything that you're doing. (laughs) I don't know how you do it all. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's the same here, Mariana. You know, I love everything that you guys do. And I love your, I love Summer Fridays. I love the products. And I'm so proud and happy that you've managed to get this podcast (laughs) up with such, you know, like it felt like so effortless and so brilliant. So well done you again. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to subscribe to my podcast and rate and review because it would mean so much to me and follow me on Instagram at Mariana underscore Hewitt to see what episodes are coming up next.